Welcome to the Unboxing Judaism podcast. Uh, my name is Rabbi Ari Wolby. Rabbi Yaakov Nagel. And this is episode number four, and we're going to be talking about a really f- a fascinating subject. The subject of creating barriers around the Torah or protective measures around the Torah. Boundaries. Boundaries. The importance of boundaries. And I think it's really a topic that's sorely misunderstood. People really have a hard time with this, and that's what you found with your students. Um, and people just like, oh, what? Like the rabbis are making such problems for us. Hmm. Um, I, I get a tremendous amount of pushback from my students about this topic. What do you mean you don't have TV at home? What do you mean you don't have open internet for your children? And it's, it's, these are protective measures to preserve our spirituality, our holiness, our purity. And, you know, just like, you know, you wouldn't give your child uh, heroin and tell him, hey, why don't you experiment, Try enjoy, <laughs> and you learn on your own, right? Uh, to us, that's spiritual heroin, right? It, it's addictive and it is, it is devastating to the, to the body and the soul. Um, and, you know, it's like we mentioned previously, uh, a nuclear reactor has many, many, many fences around it to protect from... There's guards, there's ID that you have to provide. Till you can get into the uh, reactor room, you have to go through so many barriers. And they're very crucial because it's so much at stake, so much damage can happen, and people don't think about the spiritual damage that they can cause themselves. And that's really, when you think of it in that manner, it really helps one understand the value of creating these boundaries. You know, uh, the idea of Shabbos and the boundaries that we have on Shabbos, you know. Yeah, so I just, uh, I have a, f- a fascinating anecdote. It's a historical anecdote. There were, there's, a, there's a question in law regarding the international dateline. When does it change over from, from one day to the next? And there's an arbitrary line that exists um, in, you know, in the secular world that we just go by. And there's a question, according to Torah, where does that line exist? And it's a major dispute. And many people discussed it. And there, were, there was a period of time after World War II where there were Jews that were actually living in one of these questionable areas. And they didn't know how to celebrate Shabbos. Which day is the true Shabbos? Is it, is it this, what they call Saturday or is it Sunday? And it was a major discussion. And uh, they didn't know what to do. Do we keep two days of Shabbos? Then how do we put on our tefillin? Uh, I mean, do you miss the tefillin one day? What was the deal? And the advice that they got and the ruling that they got from the rabbis is they need to keep one day with all the restrictions, including all rabbinic restrictions. And the second day or the other day, I forgot which one was which, they, uh, they only kept the Torah laws. They didn't do any Torah transgression, but... They, uh, but the rabbinic transgression, the rabbinic restrictions, they 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 uh, they allowed. And uh, what's fascinating is, is that the people who actually lived through this described the experience of trying to keep Shabbos without the rabbinic restrictions, and they said it was well nigh impossible. It was so hard because the rabbis uh, were so intuitive in understanding human nature. They recognize what actions lead to the next one and where things happen that they can actually slip up. And in that sense, there was something that they realized, they learned the lesson that what the rabbis are doing are not to make life difficult for us, 
but actually to make life easier for us to be able to avoid serious transgressions. So I, I think when we talk about siyag, uh, making a boundary, a protective boundary, uh, we have to understand what that really means. You know, if we have a, a law, a commandment in the Torah, I don't like to call the commandments of the Torah laws or commandments or mitzvahs. I, I, I like to call them more opportunities. They're opportunities for us to express our love for the Almighty. You know, I, I, it's just, a, just as a side note, yeah, it's like, it's like a commandment. No, really, I think the word mitzvah is related to the word connection. You're, you're creating tzav letzav. It's actually the meaning of the word, the inner meaning of the word mitzvah is to connect. And that's what I think is that it's an opportunity, like you say, an opportunity to connect to God in a deeper way. In a, in a more meaningful way. And, you know, when we... I'll, I'll give an example. Okay, so I think the, the relationship between God... And his creations is almost similar to the relationship of a, a husband and a wife. And just like a husband and a wife, a husband wants to buy his wife flowers to express his love. You don't just go into a florist and say, just give me any flowers. And I say, no, no, I want the nicest flowers. And you pick out the nicest roses or nicest You wife. pick out a color that your wife uh, in, would appreciate in, more. Right. Why? Because this is an expression of my love. If, I, if, if, if it's not important to me, the relationship, I either won't buy the flowers or I won't care how they look. But because this expresses my love. So now when we're, when we're fulfilling a mitzvah, a commandment in the Torah, the idea is not, this is an opportunity for us. These are the flowers, so to speak, that we bring for the Almighty. And we want it to be perfect. You know, just last week I had a guest who was visiting from out of town. And he told me, oh, this, I, I don't do this on Shabbos, which is not a prohibition, but it's an extra boundary. Mm-hmm. So I said, it's such a beautiful thing. The relationship that he has with the Almighty is being expressed in such a beautiful way that he added a restriction to himself to avoid getting into a situation, right? Even though halakhically it's not prohibited at all. But it's an expression of that love. It's an expression of creating this extra boundary between him and falling into what is perceived by him as, you know, potentially falling into an area of uh, a gray area. I just want to touch on something that uh, it's a question, I guess, that many people have. And it was asked to me many years ago. And that uh, um, and it gets when it gets into the minutia, all the little tiny details of rabbinic of rabbinic law and. Someone asked me, it's like, does it really, does God really care about that little, those little matters that I'm doing or not doing? What does it matter to God? And uh, like, what difference does it make to God? I mean, God is so above this world. And I said, God, maybe it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to God in the way you think about it. But don't you think God appreciates every extra measure that we're doing for his sake? Of course he does. And so when you think of it in a matter of appreciation and the connection that you can get, sometimes the connection can be even stronger with the rabbinic laws that we bring to the table to show our care to want to do it right by God and not to mess up. And that shows even more than just keeping the letter of the law as written in the Torah. So there's an opportunity here by having this fence and by adhering to the rules of the of of keeping within these boundaries 
to help us grow and to help us connect on an even stronger level. Right. If you look at the at the the rabbinic restrictions on Shabbos, so you have uh, not to swim because you create a, a a boat, right? You'll create a, a flotation device. You shouldn't play music because you're going to come to repairing it, right? You shouldn't play. Uh, you shouldn't. Uh, um, you know, many, many other things like um, what did we say? Um, we don't ride a horse because you're going to break a branch, right? right? So. I, my rabbi, may he live and be well, Rabbi Yitzhak Berkowitz, he said that these are all ideas, of, of things that we do on weekends. This is time when you're relaxing, you go swimming, you play music, you, uh, you ride a horse, you go horseback riding. The rabbis didn't want Shabbos to become a weekend. Shabbos is Shabbos. Shabbos is a day of connection, a day of spirituality, a day of holiness. Not a, it's not it's not meant for it to become a weekend, and that's what if you look at these rabbinic fences that they created around Shabbos is so that to ensure that Shabbos does not become a a weekend. I just want to add a, a fascinating thing that actually occurred to me. Uh, somebody brought this to my attention. I found it fascinating. People don't even think about these things, but like the the what you have to recognize is the rabbis tremendous understanding of human nature. And the more you study what they're writing, the more you recognize it. So recently, in the Dafyomi, we finished Meseches Erevin. And it's a fascinating tractate because the entire tractate is focused on rabbinic law as it relates to Shabbos because the, the whole idea of creating a boundary, that's what an Erev is, it's a boundary around an area to enable people to carry, is... Totally rabbinic law. It doesn't say so anywhere in the Torah. So it's a rabbinic invention. But when you think about the brilliance of it, what that actually created was the concept of a Jewish community, which people don't even think about. Because you can't drive to shul, according to Jewish law. You have to be in an area that you can, and you want to be able to carry, so you have the area around the area, which is basically poles and a little string that goes all around the city, and people live within the Erev, that means, think of all the benefits of having the friends that your child grows up with to be people who have the same value system. The camaraderie that you can have and eating over at other people, the closeness, the connections that you have with your fellow Jews in creating a community, the concept of a Jewish community was invented thereby. And that's a fascinating... And, and that was always a function of a Jewish community for, for millennia. Since the Torah was given at Mount Sinai 3,300 years ago, you know, people just didn't move out to Katy or to the Woodlands or to wherever because it was a nice area and you can buy affordable housing. People, the, always the question was in the Jewish community, right, where's the Eruv? Where's, Where's the, the Jewish community? I want to be within I need the to be within community. the community. And I think, I don't think it needs to be mentioned. I think it's pretty self-apparent that suburban Jewry has failed miserably. This attempt to say that it's okay, we'll figure out a way. You just live wherever you want to live, but we'll figure out a way for you to be involved, so to speak, with a synagogue. And I think that was the, the creation of the twice-a-year Jew or the, sadly, the completely unaffiliated Jew who has nothing to do with anything because they don't live within distance to a synagogue. They don't live within a distance to a kosher facility, kosher facilities. What happened is, is that eventually 
Judaism has disappeared sadly from, from from their lives. So I think that experiment failed miserably. It's a, it's a there's a there's a Talmudic expression. Um, it says uh, it says that if a father gives a son a, a you know unlimited credit cards and dresses him up fancy and sends him off into the streets that are where bad stuff is going on. And the question is, is that what do you expect your son to do and not sin? Of course, you put him in the area where his strongest temptation is. You gave him the means to obtain those uh, those very same uh, temptations. And and you what expect you, him not and to. And you expect him not to. Like he's a human being. He's you're putting him in in that situation. So Mayasa Ben and that's exactly unfortunately the people who um, decided that they can sort of have their cake and eat it and live outside the Jewish community. And they'll oh don't worry about them. They're putting themselves in neighborhoods where people have different value systems, and their children are growing up with these people. And what do you expect to happen? What will your child do and not sin? And that's really the same thing of you know having you know unfettered access to every every. It's so easy nowadays to every um, desire, every temptation in the world. What do you expect to have different results? Then just to lead them to sin. That's it. You know, my Rebbe sent out a memo. My rabbi that I've learned with, uh, learned by for for now over twenty years, he sent out a memo to all of his students. He said, um, and it's what's amazing is that his students are all rabbis. That's where we go there to get our rabbinic coordination. So it's not like it's like high school kids. These are all rabbis. You know, uh, you know, many of them leading very prominent roles in communities and and and, and holding you know significant uh, uh, positions of of leadership. And he sent out a memo to all of the students stating that if any of the students doesn't have a, a uh, protective filter on their internet, don't call me again. That's it. Don't call me again. Why? So well, what's, what's the reason? Why would you do that? Why would you? You don't trust me. First is the answer to that in the Torah is always no. The Torah doesn't trust anyone because no one is trusted when it comes to areas of temptation. We have to remove ourselves from that temptation, not say, I'm just going to withstand. That's number one. Number two is that it, it indicates the value to spirituality. And if a person doesn't value their own spirituality, they don't value their own connection with the Almighty, then why are they calling him to begin with, right? So that, I mean, it, it really is. It, it's, it's a contradiction. A, That's what yeah. you're saying. It's just a total contradiction. There's a famous joke that they say over about a, about a, a, a rabbinical student who's in the house of study, surrounded by everyone who's studying, and he's sitting there studying with everybody else. And he starts thinking and he says, you know, the fact that I'm not sitting over here in this environment with such a, a sound of, you know, if you ever walk into one of the larger institutions of Torah study, there's a roar of Torah study surrounding you. It's, in, it, it's, uh, it's, it's contagious. You're going to study with them with a tremendous energy. So he said, to not sit here is no big deal. It's nothing. So he walks out of the room saying, now this is the difference. Okay. And then after a while, he thinks, he's like, yeah, but I'm not really in an area of temptation. So I still have my Gemara with me. What's the, it's not real. It's not a real level. I didn't really achieve anything. So he closes his Gemara 
and then slowly but surely goes closer and closer to the area, to the primary source of the temptation. He says, but I'm in the streets. That's not the same thing. Then he goes into the room with someone uh, who's prohibited to him, etc. And then all of a sudden he thinks and he says, you know, I'm not that big of a, of a righteous person. This is too much of a test. Which is, of course, he, he, the lesson is, is recognizing that there's offense for a reason. The purpose is to not put yourself into an area of temptation. Mm-hmm. And that's the idea. In Torah, we see, we see a sin, God forbid, or a, a, some, a, something that removes us from our connection with the Almighty. We see that as a cliff. You're, you're about to fall, right? And any reasonable person would understand that before a cliff, you'd put a fence so that people just don't walk over the cliff and fall down. <laughs> So it, it's not it's not like we're trying to be uber restrictive, not on ourselves, not on other people. The idea is that we care and are concerned about our own spiritual status, and therefore we create protective measures. Right. You know, the rabbis weren't bored. The rabbis aren't bored. They're not trying to find they have things. plenty to keep them busy. <laughs> of course. Yeah, they're not trying to find things. Like I, I, I hear this all the time. The students in in many of the congregations we teach at, they're like. Uh, really, the, the rabbis didn't have anything better to do but to uh, give us more problems and more things. That's not the, the first is rabbis don't have the authority to make up rules. Okay. It has to be a complete consensus that was accepted by the people, that was accepted by the entire, you know, it's like the heads of the Sanhedrin needed to draft a, 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 a decree, so such a decree, like not swimming on Shabbos, that, that everybody needed to accept it. It wasn't just like, oh, well, we're the minority or we're the ones in power now and we're going to, to impose, dictate, impose, impose the, law. yeah, the laws. That's not the way it worked. The, the people needed to say yes, indeed. It needed buy-in from the people that they were willing and capable of doing it. And that's how it works. That is the, what its system is. It's a fascinating thing that we don't, it's not just this mistake or this notion that rabbis have the rights to make up rules. I hear this all the time. Oh well, it's it's or the or, or the thing is like ah, it's it's midrash. It's, it's only a, a it's only <laughs> it's rabbinic. A, it's That's only what rabbinic. the people say. Right. Oh, it's only rabbinic. Right. The scary. The, I think one of the things that you really need to think about is that we're looking at you know, and especially in our society, we value freedom, freedom, the freedom to do as we wish, and they look at all rules as restrictions, as limitations and things that are taking away our freedoms. And it goes against the core of our values as Americans. How, what? How dare you take away our freedoms? When you think about it in terms of the, of the example of the cliff, do you know what will happen if there is a cliff and there is no fence in front of the cliff and somebody, God forbid, falls over the cliff? That family will sue the government for not putting a fence. Like, how could that be? They, look what you did. there's no fence there. You didn't even put a fence in a dangerous area. And they'll win the lawsuit. What you have to recognize is that the rabbis don't want that lawsuit because they're looking after, God willing, after 120, and they're looking from the perspective of what this world is all about and making sure that we have those connections to God. And they don't want to get sued after 120 by all those people who fell off the cliff and says, why didn't you make the fence here? I fell off the cliff. There's nothing to protect me. And that's why that's their job. They recognize that we need those things to protect the people. And if we are lax in that and not careful in that, then it's, then it's on us. We are not doing our job, our responsibility 
to protect the people. Right. So the, the Mishnah actually brings a, an incredible story of a community that approached the rabbi and says, Come live with us in our place, in our community. And obviously the Mishnah's recommendation is not to go there. Why not? Because if they're saying, we want to be with you, we want to learn with you, we want to grow with you, that's one thing. But that's not what they said. They said, you come to us, you be with us, you live with us, you transform to us, right? And you'll be part of us. That's not, that's not the way it works, right? We want to, if we, I think it's just a very, very fundamental principle that we need to, if we desire growth, if we desire change, we need to go to that change. We need to go to that uh, source and not expect it to come to us. You know, it's like p- part of the, the, the laws of, uh, of the, the Mishnah teaches us, right? Make for yourself a rabbi. You got to go and, and, and acquire a rabbi. You need to go and pursue a rabbi. The rabbi is not going to call you and say, oh, do you have any questions today? Nothing about your kitchen, right? It's not, it's not, that's not the way it's going to work, right? You have to go and pursue the rabbi if you want the influence, the inspiration of the rabbi. But if you're expecting the rabbi to call you and check in on you, that's likely not to happen. Rabbis are very busy people. And sometimes people don't understand that. I've had many people here in this classroom after, um, after a class, they say, you know, rabbi, would you agree to be my rabbi? I said, I'll happily be your rabbi. But on the condition that you realize that it's, it, it's not the way you think it is. <laughs> it's not the way you think it is. I'm not your principal. I'm not going to monitor your attendance. I'm not here to inquire about your every move in life. If you have a question, you need to come. And if I don't pick up the phone, send a message, figure out a way. It's, I had this with my rabbi. I remember a classmate, someone who was with me in the, in the kolel back in the day, um, by Rabbi Berkowitz, and we were we were trying to. He was trying. I asked him if he was going to contact our rabbi, and he said, oh, "I can never get through." So, what do you think? He's going to call you? You're going to call? I said, "Go and call, and don't get off till they pick up." Right? Keep so going. Just keep keep on trying. If this is important to you, you go and pursue it. Right? I know this is not so much about talking about siag, about creating that boundary, but it's just once we're talking about going and pursuing and, 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 and initiating, this is part of it. We have, to, we have to take it to the next level. If we want to initiate in, in our own spirituality, we have to be proactive. It's true. The, the, the truth is the rabbis, uh, the rabbis were proactive. They created a system to enable us to best, easiest, the most comfortable way to keep the Torah in the best way possible. And what people don't recognize is the, I think, another component of the fences around the Torah. It's also helping one get the proper experience of and get the fullest measure out of what the Torah has to offer. And these fences are, besides for keeping things out, they create an environment within to maximize one's, one's experience and one's connection to the Torah. And uh, that's what I think is like, there's interesting because part of the rabbi's rules they do is some, some positive mitzvahs, like the candles that we light on Friday night. That's not written in the Torah anywhere. And that's a mitzvah from the rabbis. And that's all 
to enhance the ambiance of what Shabbos is all about. And it, when you think about it, it's one of the most beautiful mitzvahs that we have on a weekly basis of lighting the Friday night candles, the families all together. And it's so interesting because Gentiles just think about this and they say like, they, they're busy like for weeks in advance of Thanksgiving for their Thanksgiving dinner. And, um, and my wife w- would talk to, to, to her peers in, in business and she says, well, we have that pretty much every weekend because that's what Shabbos is. It's a Thanksgiving uh, day. Every day, every week. Every Shabbos. And it's a day to express our love for God, our thanks to God, to devote the entire, the entire day to, to God and to unplug and get the full experience. So most of these, these, these rabbinic laws, they're not just a fence to keep outside influences out, but sort of to enhance the, 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 what, what the Torah has to offer and let us get that full experience. I think we have to disqualify what we said earlier that about rabbinic decrees or rabbinic laws that were instituted. The authority was given in the Torah, right, in, in Deuteronomy, where the Torah tells us what God says, that the rabbis can institute uh, laws. Must, not can, they, must. They, they, right, they must institute laws to, to deal with advances in technology, advances in, in all of those, those areas, but they must be, number one, based on Torah, on real Torah, knowledgeable Torah, not just whims and... and uh, and uh, emotional arguments, right? They have to be, there has to be concrete, in-sourced material. Number two is that there needs to be a consensus that's a unanimous consensus by the rabbinic leaders and by the community that this is indeed the proper way to go about it, right? So so to to just, you know, someone was sending me some some documentation from... uh, uh, Cut. Okay, anyway, so... Um, One second, you want to what, go, what go back? You, yeah, what okay, Rabbi Bosco, here we're going back. Okay. So what does this mean in our own lives? Okay, what is this practical? Again, I think to summarize, we need to f- recognize that the rabbis are not our enemies. <laughs> They're not that mean principal who's making all these rules for us. They are caring and concerned like parents that want what's best for us. They want to enhance our full experience. And that's really the, the mindset behind all of the restrictions. It's not just restrictions. It's to enable us to understand what Torah is all about, to appreciate that, and to live life to the fullest in the most pleasant way possible. There's a story in the Talmud where there was an individual who was walking along the beach, the beach road. And the way it used to be is that the women would bring their, 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 their garments, which was what they wore. You know, people didn't have multiple sets of clothes. And they, all the women would go at a certain time and they would go bathe in the, in the ocean. And while they were bathing in the ocean, they would clean their clothes and then they would wait for the clothes to hang, to, while it was hanging, for it to dry. So here this individual is walking by, this man is walking down on the, on the beach road, and he has an alternative route to take. So the Talmud says that if he goes on the beach road and doesn't look, I'm not going to look, I'm not going to be tempted, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to protect my eyes and I'm not going to look. 
he's considered a sinner. Because you had another way you can go, you had an alternative route you could have taken and added a protective measure, and you didn't, you're considered a sinner. A person shouldn't put them place, their, themselves into a place of temptation. And I think on a very practical level, let's put the rabbis aside for a second. Let's put the rabbinic laws aside for a second. In our own personal lives, if we know that talking to a specific person will trigger anger, then don't talk to that person. Right. If you know that you have, in a very practical way, if you know that eating in a certain environment is going to cause you to overeat and you're not going to be able to lose the weight that you want, avoid being, and it means to create a boundary for yourself in a very practical way in every area of life so that we don't fall into the trap of losing control. And I, th- I think that's really important because that's a clearly, this is, this, section that we're actually studying of Asus Yagla Torah is not only talking to the rabbis, oh, rabbis, this is what you have to do for the people, which is also true. But it's also true for ourselves, which is really what you're saying. We There's no one that knows us as well as we know us. And we know what what pitfalls are pitfalls for us, where our danger zones are. And making that fence enables us to grow and, may, and protect us. And that's really, it's on us to actually take ownership of our own spirituality, of our own connection to God. We're not just, you know, luck, what should I do? There's things that we can do, we think about, and this is really something that takes contemplation. Look at our lives and take an accounting of what we do and where we mess up. What is it that's bringing me like to waste hours and hours of time, you know, on the internet or something like that, even if it's nothing illegal, but it's time-wasting. Well, there's certain things that bring us to that point. Let's think about it in advance. That's the siyag, the ability to make fences to sort of protect us from those pitfalls. And that's taking ownership of our, it's our responsibility, not looking only to others like, oh, well, it's your fault that I didn't do this. Take ownership you know, my, my brother, Rabbi Yaakov Wolby, from the great Rabbi Yaakov Wolby podcasts, uh, you can find it at torchpodcasts.org. So, um, a little plug, shameless plug. But uh, the, he said a brilliant, brilliant idea that the first mission of Pirkei Avot in Ethics of Our Fathers is really one idea. You see, when Moshe Rabbeinu passed away, 3,000 laws were forgotten. And everyone asked his succe- successor, why don't you, you know, Joshua, go and seek from the Almighty? Ask the Almighty. The Almighty should reveal to you those laws that were forgotten uh, with the passing of Moshe. And he said, no. We're going to learn it. We're going to figure out what those 3,000 3, laws were. 3,000, right? 3,000 laws. How do they do it? And that's the first mission. Moshe Kibbal Torah Messina. Moshe received the Torah from Sinai. Umusar Yeshua. He passed it to Yeshua, etc., etc. And then what does it say? Three rules. Number one, have a misunim badin. Don't rush. Don't rush to judgment. Think things through. Think things through. And the second, have many students so that you can discuss and you can deliberate and, and you can, and you can, you can, you can uh, expound on ideas. And the third is the one we're talking about now, which is a susyag la Torah. Understand that we need boundaries in the Torah. 
And in the merit of these three things, our sages teach us that Joshua was able to restore those 3,000 laws because using this, these three principles of, of understanding that you need to deliberate and don't rush to judgment and that you need to have many people in the conversation, not just your own opinion that counts, and then setting up protective measures, protective barriers, they were able to restore those 3,000 laws. I think it's a, it's a fascinating, fascinating idea that in our lives, we all have things, We every single one of us have things that we're good at and things that we're not so good at. And what we really want to do is perfect ourselves that the good things become perfect and the bad things we're able to perfect and change them. The only way for us to do that is if we utilize this incredible tool of creating protective measures, right? It, it's like, you know, with our children... We always create protective measures. We don't say, you know what, run in the streets. No, run into the streets. No problem. You'll learn the hard way. Or that would be reckless parenting. Or what we do is we teach our children to protect themselves. To 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 don't get so close to the to the to the to the drive to the um, to the to the road. Right. Be careful. Right. With bicycles, with all of the things or activities that our children do. We want to make sure that they have those protective measures so that they don't fall into a place of danger. Amazing. So I just want to, you just reminded me of a, a fascinating idea that I think connects to really this question of those 3,000 laws that we're missing. And just you reminded me of uh, of something about it. So Yoshua was able to, with the help of the students, so we talk about the Hamidu Talmidim Harbe. The gaining of many students. So there's a fascinating Mishnah that we recently had in the Dafyomi. And it, it, it references something that Rabbi Akiva stated, Bo Bayom, on that very day. And there's a very fascinating historical reference there. What was that very day? So the Talmud tells us that there was a period of time where the Nasi, the head of the Jewish people at the time, Rabbi Gamliel, had sort of disrespected one of the elder rabbis of the time, Rabbi Yoshua. And on account of that, it was overdone to their in, in the rabbi's mind, and they demoted him, and they elevated Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah in his place. Now, Rabbi Gamliel, when he was the Nasi, he had a guard at the door. And it's fascinating what the guard had a rule. You want to come into the house of study? We only accept, this is the entry test. Anyone who is tocho kebaro, his inside is the same as his outside, only he may enter. Anyone who's like, there's a disparity between their inside and their outside, sorry, you're not allowed in. And he, they were all kicked out. And it was a small house of study. What happened was, Rebbe Lezabin Nazari had a different attitude. He said, Torah, we need as many people as we can studying Torah. He removed the guard. And sure enough, on that day, there were many, many, many more Talmidim that were there that weren't there before. And that was the Bobayom, that very day. Mm-hmm. And the Rashi in, in, in the Daf that talks about Bobayom, he said, there were so many laws that were established that very day and they came to full clarity. Why? Because there were that many more students. And even though these students were maybe far from perfect, they didn't have the same quality, but everybody has a connection to Torah and they have insights to add. And therefore, it's a combination of the Hamidu Talmidim Harbi, the adding of the students, more perspectives to be able to, that are all trying to come to understand the Torah and the 
protective measures that we need to have around the Torah and the deliberation, that combination really can work together to create a true understanding of the Torah and restore the Torah to what it was. You know, it's an interesting, uh, uh, you know, the contrast between those two perspectives. The, the Klozen Bogareba in Netanya, so it was once Friday night, and uh, one of the Hasidic uh, followers of the of the Holy Master, the Hasidic Master, um, saw that the windows were open when they were having a tish. The tish is, you know, Friday night, they would sing many songs in the Gunim, and um, the, this individual was closing all the windows so that it doesn't make noise to the outside. So the Rebbe told him, open up the window. He says, we don't keep our, our influence in, we try to share our influence to the outside. And it turns out that many people were inspired by those songs. Many people were inspired and, and would come in and would become part of part of the, the, the community. Get more connected. And, you know, it's, it's a different perspective. But we see in this week's Torah portion, Parshas Yisro, an incredible thing that the Jewish people are protected by a protective barrier of the Anani Akavot, of the, of the clouds of glory. And I think that that's part of what we need to have for ourselves as well, is we're living in a world which is chaotic, which is crazy. There's so many influences, and we need to create our own Anani a, safe, a safe zone. Our, uh, yeah, a safe zone for our for our own spirituality. That there's certain things we shouldn't allow into our house, perhaps certain things we shouldn't allow into our lives, into our conversations, into our into our communities, and and for for the sake not of 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 calling people out. That's not that's not our job. Our job is to protect ourselves and to find a way. To, to create that, that realistic barrier that helps us become the people we really want to be. Yeah? yeah. Amazing. All anyway. right. So thank you, everyone, for joining us on our journey. Uh, and uh, we hope to hear great, great uh, feedback from you. If you have any, we'd love to hear it. And if you have any comments, please email us at podcast at torchweb.org. Thank you very much. It's great studying with you again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Rabbi Nagel.